Hi, this is Jovi. And this is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Crime Crime Stories. Stories. It's a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. You know what's funny? You say we pour ourselves a drink and half the time we're not pouring ourselves a drink. It's I am sans drink. I usually try to like make a point of getting a drink before I start. Yeah, I like. I am without without beverage, without a beverage tonight. I have water. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't even have my water in here. That's that's sad. So we lied. We don't. Charlie doesn't have a drink tonight, and I have water. We so we're, we're Jovi pours herself a water, and we yep. take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up mm-hmm, at night. Mm-hmm. We'll have to there change that. No, we're not changing it because I drink most of the time. So no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, oh, we have to change into having a drink every time. Yes. Oh no, we're not changing that. No, no, no. Gotcha. We have to make sure that we follow our own our rules. Yes. We have established a rule. Yes. We need to keep to the rule. Yes. Usually, you're really good at it, though. I'm. Not. I am. I'm not. You're usually on top of it. You're on point. I know. Yeah. I failed tonight. Yeah. It's okay. I'll I'll allow it oh, this good. time. It's all good. Yeah, because normally, normally you're good, but you know, mm-hmm, everybody mm-hmm, slips mm-hmm. up every now and then. So yeah, everybody does. Everybody mm-hmm. poops. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. All right. Well, um, I don't have anything new <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> no, mm. I I don't I don't either. Okay. So I we can just very quickly celebrate the fact that we are recording this episode exactly one week from the Baxter Boys concert next week. I, I I like that. I think that's that's cause for celebration. That is cause for celebration. Absolutely. At literally one week from this very moment, mm-hmm. we are going to be mm-hmm. like in our places, and yes. the concert will be starting. Yes. Um, but technically when you're listening to this, it will have been, it will have already the week happened before. I mean, we were there the week before. Yes. So it will have already happened. Yeah. But yeah. So this is a peek into the past. <laughs> yes. yes. It's we're looking to the future and then talking about the past. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's to make shit extra special confusing you know that's that's how we do i feel mm-hmm. that that's a that's a trait we have yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. that's true so yeah so the next time we record we'll tell you guys all about the concert yes. we'll give you um a rundown of how that is yes maybe Very we'll throw exciting. a picture up on the insta it's possible yes and actually by the time actually the next time we record it'll be after the saint pete pride parade mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm very excited about it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Well, since we don't have anything new that we're watching or need to talk about, how about we jump right in and have Charlie tell us her bedtime story? Yes, my friends. So it is my final contribution to our Pride Month series. And I wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction mm. this evening and to kind of cap off our event. So obviously we've been talking, um, a lot about the loss of members Mm -hmm. of the LGBTQ plus community. And while obviously we know that it's incredibly crucial to tell these stories Mm and, um, talk about the lives lost over the years, I want to talk about, um, a trailblazing activist in the LGBTQ plus, uh, community that you might not know about. Cause I didn't know about this person and, um, I like to consider myself pretty well versed 
Yeah. On uh, the goings on in the community. So um, yeah, I had never heard of this person before and he was featured on the Google doodle for June 4th. Ooh. And I saw the, the doodle, I clicked on it and I was like, this is a new person I've never heard of before. And I read his story and it is absolutely fucking fascinating. <laughs> awesome. I like this. And I like that we're ending the month on a positive note, positive note. Yes. I yes. like that. Or at least a, uh, a, a hope, a hopeful note. Yes. Yes. We'll yes, yes. Hopeful note. yes. Yes. So um, I have a couple of different uh, resources for tonight. Wikipedia, um, the body.com time.com out history.com and the Philadelphia gay news. Hmm. Um, this person has been called the Forrest Gump of activism, (laughs) (laughs) um, because it's, you know, when you look back on, um, kind of the history of the equal rights movements in the U S really over the last like 60, 70 years, um, his name pops up all throughout the history. Oh, um, yep. And this man's name is Kayoshi Kuromiya. And uh, more than likely, Kayoshi was there. <laughs> there was something <laughs> happening. If somebody was fighting for rights or they were anti-war, Kayoshi was likely going to be in the crowd. Okay. Or running it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Kayoshi was born on May 9th, 1943. Um, he was born in Wyoming at the Hart Mountain Internment Camp. So Hart Mountain was one of 10 relocation camps that were set up in the Western United States to house Japanese Americans after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, wow. So, um, the first of these camps were set up in February of 1942. So just a couple of months after, um, Pearl Harbor occurred, um, somewhere between 110,000 and 120,000 people were uh, of Japanese ancestry were subject to the relocation orders. Holy shit. Yeah. People who were as little as one sixteenth Japanese were subjected to relocation. Um, and even if you were a born in the U S American citizen, if you were of Japanese descent, um, at least one sixteenth, you were subject to relocation. Good Lord. Uh, yeah. So with the assistance from the U S census bureau, people were taken f- directly from their homes and incarcerated at these camps. Um, and shockingly, disappointingly, frustratingly, sadly, but not at all shockingly, <laughs> um, this had overwhelming support from Americans of, course. Like, of the general public. Mm-hmm. According to a March 1942 poll conducted by the American Institute of Public Opinion, 93% of Americans supported the relocation of Japanese non-citizens from the Pacific coast, whereas only 1% opposed it. And according to the same poll, 59% supported the relocation of Japanese people who were born in the U.S. and were U.S. citizens, whereas only 25% opposed it. That's disgusting. Gross. That is fucking gross. Absolutely it's fucking gross it's fucking gross oh the things i'd like to say right now oh the things i'd like to say right now it's disgusting nine out of ten relocation camps were shut down by the end of 1945 and the last one closed later on um a year later Mm -hmm. so the reason why that last one took an additional year to close is because hmm, what they would do is they would ask 
like these series of questions to those who were incarcerated at the camps. And if um, people who had said no to two of the questions, they called them no-nos because they said no to these two questions. One was like, would you fight in the U S armed forces? And then the second was something along the lines of, you know, would you support or align yourself with the Japanese government or whatever, or would you uh, turn against the Japanese government or something like that? And if they said no to both of those, they were put in this other camp and deported. Yeah. So what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh Now I will tell you that after all of these shut down, you know, there was multiple things put in place in order for um, those who were incarcerated to recuperate like financially what they lost Mm. because of course they lost property they lost businesses they lost income what have you absolutely um so there was things put in place to help them recoup financially but there were people that lost like everything and weren't able to gain that stuff back (laughs) so like this is this was kayoshi's life start of his life he was born in one of the camps that's terrible Yeah. And he was born to parents whose only crime was their lineage. Both of his parents were born in the United States. They were both born in California. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. when the camps were closed, Kayoshi and his parents moved to Monrovia, California. um, And that was the city that his parents were living in before they were relocated. Kayoshi was sure of who he was at a very young age. And he came out as gay to his parents at only eight or nine years old. Oh, wow. He said in interviews that he actually became sexually active around that time. Oh, shit. That young. Yeah. Um, He was actually arrested in a public park with a 16 year old boy when he was only nine or 10 for lewdness. And he was put in juvenile hall for three days as punishment. No shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Kayoshi had said how his being arrested made him feel like a criminal without knowing it. And it left him with a feeling of shame that he felt like he was forced into shame of being who he was. Mm. And it forced him to be secretive about his sex life even early on. Mm -hmm. So here, this young boy who was so sure of himself at eight or nine years old, coming out to his parents now gets put into this place where he felt like just who he was, was illegal. Mm -hmm. So now he felt shamed back into the closet. But, but you know what though, nobody hmm. could put baby in a corner. He is, he, he is going to shine. Uh, I have just that you feeling. fucking wait. I have just you that feeling. <laughs> just you wait. Wow, that's terrible. Um, and yeah. oh, God, I couldn't even imagine. You know, no. oh God, no. no. That's that's sad. Mm-hmm. So um he stayed in Monrovia until 1961, where he moved out east to attend college in Philadelphia at University of Pennsylvania. And it was there at UPenn that he came really came into his own as an activist. So beginning the early 60s, this is the heavy, heavy onset of the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. in the United States. And his first foray into activism occurred in 1962 when he participated in the Congress of Racial Equality's Maryland Diner Sit-Ins. So he did participate in the diner sit-ins that Mm -hmm. are incredibly, you know, well-known. Yes. Um, While participating, he actually did go to the March on Washington in 1963 that was organized by Martin Luther King Jr. And he met him Uh, there at the March on Washington. And he wound up continuing to work pretty closely with MLK throughout 
the civil rights movement. Um, That's awesome. Him, yeah. Knew him well, was kind of like a little bit of an assistant when they were working together on things. Like, yes, they were fighting the good fight together side by side. That's which is pretty amazing. Fucking crazy and cool. On March 13th, 1965, in anticipation of the march from Selma to Montgomery, um, in Alabama, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Kyoshi, Dr. King, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, and James Foreman were attacked by sheriff's deputies and their volunteer crew while leading a group of black high school students on a voter registration march to the Capitol building in Montgomery. Um, the incident left Kyoshi bloodied and in need of 20 stitches to mend his head wounds. Ooh. So the following day, he confronted Sheriff Maxim Butler um, alongside Dr. King, John Lewis, may he rest in peace, Mm -hmm. um, James Foreman, and Reverend Ralph Abernathy. So after falsely accusing Kyoshi of attacking an officer with a knife, Butler finally recanted his statements and apologized, which, according to Dr. King, quote, was the very first time a Southern sheriff had apologized for injuring a civil rights worker. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was probably the last too. <laughs> mm, mm. Probably. Um, so Kyoshi publicly came out as gay on July 4th, 1965 at the first independence hall annual reminder. So these annual reminders were early pickets organized by LGBTQ plus groups. And this particular reminder was among the first LGBTQ plus demonstration in the United States. Hmm. Organizer Frank Camney insisted all male demonstrators attend in a coat and tie despite the heat to show that quote we aren't monsters similar demonstrations were held in New York and Washington DC with the Philadelphia branch pulling in 12 activists wow these events which continued until 1969 marked the first time in recorded history that people publicly assembled to demand equal rights for homosexuals wow yep um but he continued his activism, um, and not only the civil rights movement, but also in the anti-war movement. Of course, we are now in the height of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. On October 20th and 21st, 1967, Kyoshi participated in Abby Hoffman's organized attempt to levitate the Pentagon, which sounds exactly like what you think it sounds like. What? So basically, it's this large group of hippies uh-huh. i mean truthfully truthfully <laughs> um they marched on the pentagon because they see this as like the symbol of war yeah right? the pentagon obviously yeah and they plan planned on performing like a type of cleansing exorcism on the building to try and like rid it of all the negative energy okay right and the feelings of war within and that through this ritual the building would literally raise from the soil oh yeah now, of course, it didn't work. <laughs> no. It didn't work. But he was there because that's who Kyoshi that's who was. who he was. And he did things yeah. that he believed in and that yeah. he thought was a good cause. For sure. And like, so, maybe, maybe it didn't physically happen, the lifting of the building, but yeah. maybe spiritually it did. But you should see the amount of people that showed up, man. It was, they made a point. That's kind of really awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I love that. Yeah, I do. I love that. Mm-hmm. They probably smelt like patchouli. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, having decided he had nothing else to learn at school, he departed UPenn in 1968 to devote himself entirely to activism. Um, after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, he flew to Atlanta and he assisted the King family during the week of the funeral. Oh. Um, and actually, a few days later, he was arrested in Philadelphia by federal agents mm. because those connected to Dr. King were oh. targeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So Kayoshi had designed and created the iconic fuck the draft poster, which <laughs> depicted Bill Greenshields burning his draft card with a gleeful look upon his face at the levitate the Pentagon demonstration. Mm-hmm. So when they were there, this dude burnt his draft card. Mm-hmm. Um, so he used the photo of this to create the fuck the draft. Yeah. Poster yeah, yeah. And like this fuck the draft movement, which I mean, truthfully, fuck the draft. Yes. Um, Though Kayoshi used the pseudonym Dirty Linen Corporation, (laughs) (laughs) Um, this provocative advertisement put a huge, glaring, glowing, blinking target on his back. Yes. Mm, Yes. Yeah. 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 So April 11th, 1968, he was arrested by the FBI. They charged him in Philadelphia under U.S. Code Title 18, Section 1461 (laughs) of the Postal Code, which considered the poster an obscene, indecent and crime inciting work. Seriously? Yes. But our good friend Kayoshi was not deterred. He continued to post this poster and share it. Um, He uh, gave out 2000 copies at the 1968 Demo- democratic convention in Chicago. Um, while he was there, uh, it happened to be that the Chicago police riot broke out. Um, and though then mayor Richard Daly described the incident as the work of quote, professional troublemakers, Kayoshi and the event, uh, eventual official reports, um, including the well-known Walker report. So the official reports came out as well as Kayoshi coming forward and saying that it was a night of quote, unrestrained police violence against peaceful onlookers oh. who just happened to be in the area who had, and who had no broken, no laws, even as the protesters chanted, the whole world is watching. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> thankfully he escaped that riot fairly unharmed good um though he did continue to fight the obscenity charge for the fuck the draft uh poster um it took about three years but the case was eventually dismissed on june 7th 1971 um it went to the supreme court cohen versus california but it did decide or it was dismissed because of the supreme court case Mm. cohen versus california Mm -hmm. which decided that the phrase and the image was protected under freedom of speech i was gonna say like yeah that's Mm -hmm. he could okay Mm -hmm. and it's funny before you said all that was like but freedom of speech though Mm -hmm. yeah that's it yeah so following the 1969 Stonewall riots in New York City, Kayoshi co-founded the Gay Liberation Front with Basil O'Brien after attending a Homophile Action League meeting. The GLF was one of the more radical pro-gay political organizations um, to um, be formed after Stonewall. Mm-hmm. 
In A Sign of the Group's Approach, Kayoshi wrote in the free press, quote, homosexuals have burst their chains and abandoned their closets. We come battle scarred and angry to topple your sexist, racist, hateful society. Uh, We came to challenge the incredible hypocrisy of your serial monogamy, your oppressive sexual role-playing, your nuclear family, your Protestant ethic, apple pie, and mother. I love him. I know. I love it. I love Uh, every (laughs) minute. Like, I just want to stand up and and, like slow clap. Just like the the balls. (laughs) Yeah. Just the balls to be like, you know what? Actually, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Actually. Wow. I love that. I love that. Mm hmm. So um, he obviously was quite anti-war, yes. as we know. Kayoshi <laughs> um, described the um, Gay Liberation Front's tactics during this time as kind of purposefully silly. Because mm. um, he obviously he's anti-war, right? So he didn't want it to ever come to a point where it was going to escalate to violence. Yeah. Um, and he said, quote, we'd go up to a line of cops with tear gas grenades and horses and clubs. We would link arms and do a can-can. <laughs> and it really threw them <laughs> off guard. <laughs> Uh, yes. I mean, good point. Cause that's mm-hmm. definitely not what they would expect. Yeah. What are they going to do? Right. Exactly. They're You're just can canning. What are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so unlike other gay rights groups at the time, GLF actively recruited a wide range of diversity and expressed solidarity with, um, other groups such as the young Lords and the black Panther party, mm-hmm. um, at the 1970 black Panther party convention in Philadelphia, Kayoshi attended representing the GLF as an openly gay delegate where mm. he both introduced and received support for the gay liberation struggle. Nice. And whenever I hear black Panther, I, know. I just think I of Forrest Gump. <laughs> And I say, I'm sorry for ruining your Black Panther party. <laughs> Forrest Gump is my favorite movie. Yes. Yes. Favorite movie. Same. And oh God, I love it so much. It's a great fucking movie. Sorry and he really is. Black Panther party. He is really he, like Forrest Gump. Oh, we're not even done yet. No, I know. But like, it's funny. No, I'm just saying, though, like he's literally Forrest Gump. That's amazing because everything you're mentioning, Forrest Gump was there, too. So yeah. it's literal. I bet they knew each other. They totally did. They totally Forrest did. And Kayoshi <laughs> hanging out. I know. That's awesome. Um, I bet Jenna was at the uh, Levitate the Pentagon oh my move, God. Uh, day. Hopefully not there. naked, that hoe. <laughs> Jenny was the she was uh, the, hoe. The, the villain of Forrest Gump. 126,000 percent Yes. Yeah. Um Anyway, so once the AIDS epidemic began in the early 1980s, Kayoshi began working extensively as an AIDS activist, and he uh, started to research with numerous groups, um, and he was a founding member of the ACT UP Philadelphia chapter. So ACT UP was a... um, an anti-AIDS uh, movement um, or really more of just like an AIDS awareness movement yeah. um, to try to break stigma and educate others about what it's all about and um, bring awareness to the government that people are fucking dying. So help us. Yeah. So is um, it kind of like actual reality act it, up fight AIDS? When they act up is act up. That's awesome. When they say that in rent. Oh, I didn't know that. Up. Mm-hmm. oh okay yeah no i feel like an asshole but that's what they're talking about <laughs> i did not know that yep okay actual reality act up for aids it's act up yes that's awesome and i if i'm not mistaken i do believe that act up still exists 
Oh, no, you know what? Hold on. Let me do this real quick. Okay. So ACT UP still exists. It is still an active organization mm-hmm. uh, based out of New York. The, um, ma- the, the logo that says silence equals death. Mm-hmm. That's ACT UP. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The uh, GMHC, which is Gay Men's Health Crisis Network. That's a charity that I donate to fairly regularly. They are a splinter of ACT UP. ACT UP is like the um, activism side of it. Okay. Where GMHC is the, like, um, they provide healthcare resources and meals and things of that nature to, okay. um, people who are, who have AIDS in, uh, New York, but it is not just gay men anymore. Like it's GMHC. Cause it started as gay men's health crisis, but yeah. it's, it's anybody who has AIDS. Wow. So anyway, that's, yeah, the organization. That's great. Yeah, Act Up still exists. And Kyoshi was um started the Philadelphia chapter of Act Up. Um, though he was not tested himself for HIV until 1989, uh, which uh, in which he was positive. Kyoshi believed that he likely was exposed to the virus between 79 and 83 during his frequent trips to bathhouses in both San Francisco and New York. Yeah. Um, Kyoshi approached his work with the motto, quote, information is power. And he educated himself on the AIDS issues. He created the ACT UP standards of care, which was the first of its kind for people with HIV. Um, and it was produced by people with AIDS. So it was a, how to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. where to seek help, where to get resources Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I like that because it's coming from people who are going through the same thing as you. It's that and they're not for us by us. Correct. And they're not preaching. They're not saying Mm -hmm. this, that no, this is people who Mm -hmm. are going through the same thing that are like this, this is what I did. It's, it's working. Mm -hmm. This is what the steps that you should take. It'll help. Like, I like that. This is who to contact. This is where to go. Yep. Correct. Um, yeah. So through that, he also founded the critical path newsletter, which he mailed out to thousands of people worldwide, as well as, uh, mailing it out to hundreds of incarcerated individuals who didn't have access to AIDS information. Wow. Mm -hmm. He further developed the critical path newsletter, um, which was one of the first resources on HIV treatment widely available to, to the public. And he transformed it into one of the very first websites on the internet. Holy shit. Yeah. Filled with all of the latest HIV and AIDS information. I am impressed. I I like him. And then from there, one step further, this site became host to the critical path AIDS project through which Kyoshi operated a 24 hour hotline for anyone who sought his help and provided free internet to hundreds of people with HIV in Philadelphia. I love him. I I, 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 He's an amazing human being. Kyoshi became self-educated to the point where he was invited to sit on numerous alternative therapy panels of the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, in the early 90s. These appointments came from his experience with medical marijuana, which he openly distributed to people living with AIDS through a medical marijuana buyers club he called Transcendental Transcendental Medication. So he came up with all the... Like, the it's I Forrest Gump. Yes. I know. Oh my God. I know. I know. 
Um, in March, 1999, Kyoshi agreed to be the named plan plaintiff in a federal class action lawsuit of a total of 164 co-plaintiffs that sought to end the federal ban on marijuana use. The case is known as Kuromiya versus the United States of America, mm-hmm. named after him, because mm-hmm. obviously he was the named plaintiff. Um, in an interview with Kayoshi, he said that he was prepared to go to the U.S. Supreme Court to ensure that medicinal and therapeutic use of cannabis was permitted in America. Quote, it's my constitutional right to use naturally growing medication that will save my life. It's absurd to arrest people for taking their medicine. The federal ban against cannabis is stupid and unfair, and it needs to be overturned. Um, Kyoshi smoked marijuana on a regular basis to deal with nausea, uh, wasting syndrome, and other problems, of course, that were a result of uh, living with AIDS. Mm -hmm. Quote, I know that marijuana is a life-saving medicine for myself and many millions of others around the country. Cannabis has been used therapeutically for over 5,000 years. It's been used all over the world and it grows everywhere. Every culture knows it has therapeutic value. And unfortunately, as we know, the lawsuit was unsuccessful. Of course. Yes. Of course. Kyoshi died of complications from cancer on May 10th, 2000, um, a day after his 57th birthday. Um, his death was initially reported, um, as being due to complications from AIDS, but it was indeed complications from cancer. Um, Jose DeMarco, who worked with Kayoshi in ACT UP Philadelphia, recalled stories about his final days. Um, he says, quote, when Kayoshi went into the hospital, folks visited him every day. And even though he was sick in bed, he was still teaching people about what was going on with him. So they would know he'd say, does everyone understand? Do you have any more questions that happened even on the day after his birthday, he never took a break. And then he died later that day. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Even on his last day, he was fighting to share his knowledge with people who needed him. Um, J.D. Davids, a transgender rights and health rights activist that worked with Kayoshi on the Critical Path AIDS Project, said of him, quote, thinking of where society would be today if he had not died is both inspiring and devastating. Devastating because we need him today and we need everyone we lost today. Yet currently we're losing people that we're going to need tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a powerful statement. And, and that so is my true. story. Holy yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. I love him. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's done so much, so like in his life, which was cut short, he's mm-hmm. accomplished and done so much, so yep. much. It was a 57 year old man when he died that literally changed the face of the civil rights movement. He changed the face of the anti-war movements. He changed the face of LGBTQ plus activism. He changed the face of AIDS awareness activism. Like he was any major human rights event mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, fight that happened from the time he was born until the minute he died. He had not only taken part in he had a hand in mm-hmm. changing lives mm-hmm. he took he took the reins on everything yeah. everything that he fascinating. could yeah that's mm-hmm. that was an amazing amazing story he was amazing <laughs> like everything mm-hmm. that you had talked about and he had done it's just <sighs> we need more of him we need to make little yeah. clones of him mm-hmm. um 
just so unapologetically himself and not afraid to just say, you know what? Hey, no, this isn't right. This has to change. And this is why. Right. And then my, I think the thing that I'm so impressed with that I like strive to do for myself is like the self-teaching and how self-motivated he was mm-hmm. to learn as much as he possibly could as like a lay person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one of my resource articles had mentioned how it's be- it was believed at the time that he was the most well-educated non-medical professional on the AIDS crisis at the time. Wow. Like just because he knew he he would not stop researching and learning and asking questions and you know, being involved and being, you know, part of where decisions were being made and where people were speaking about changes that could happen. And yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a great way to close out our pride series. Mm -hmm. We needed, we needed a story like that. Yeah, absolutely did. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like I'm flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. They need to make a movie about him and call it the real Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> My no, whole thing kidding. is, is like the, the things that we make movies about people that we make movies about these days. And there's a human being that existed like him and we don't have a movie about him. Yeah, there should be. Mm-hmm. There absolutely should be. And the greatest part is, is he did all this without violence. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, he used his words. He used his knowledge. Mm-hmm. And look at what he accomplished. Yeah. Changed lives. Right. And that should that, that should say something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you saw his doodle on Google. Uh, let me tell you, man, those Google doodles. I know. They're, they're actually very, because I, I actually haven't been on Google, like the actual page, because I just kind of type it. Mm-hmm. From, the browser window mm-hmm. but i really do enjoy their doodles because you learn you know that they, they always have something and you could click on it and you could learn about mm-hmm. what it is why why it's important and things like that and i think that's great mm-hmm. i think i think that's great i think when i post the pictures for kayoshi i'm going to make sure i uh, post the picture of the Google doodle, the Google doodle, the Google doodle, the Google think, doodle, which the, is really hard to say, by the way, it is unless you say it really so like Google doodle, Google, and doodle. even then it sounds real stupid. Yes, so. it does. But Google doodle. You know. Yes. Google doodle. Well, again, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. I love that story. It's, it's a great story. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to learn more about him and i think we should petition to have a movie about him yeah erect a statue to kayoshi kuromiya yes mm-hmm. we could you know what netflix would probably totally do it yeah because they've they're they've been on their game lately yeah so yeah if only they way. would bring back santa clarita diet <sighs> <laughs> look <sighs> if, you know what how about this well, I'll call it even if they make the movie about him. <laughs> of yes, agreed. Yes. Then then all right, fine. We understand. But if we not, understand each other, Netflix. Yes. But if if they're not going to do that, then we want more Santa Cruz. <laughs> exactly. That's the compromise. <laughs> that, that, is compromise. that are the terms. Those and the even terms. better, put Drew Barrymore in the movie about uh Hermia. Yes. Actually put Drew Barrymore in, every in everything. Movie. In everything. Everything. Her and Ryan Reynolds. I'd be okay with that. Like both of them together or rotate them, whatever you want to do. I love Drew Barrymore. She's a, she's a gem. 
goddess She's a gem lover so now that we've all heard that amazing story let's all be motivated and inspired to be the best version of us that we can and you could the first step you could do is you could follow us on social media <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um bed crime stories at um on instagram and twitter you could also send us an email and tell us how amazing and inspiring you are or people yeah. who inspire you love it tell us tell us about that i i, I want to know i actually have my my actual personal hero who is a public figure i think i'm going to do her story because it is slightly crimey but she's literally one of my favorite human beings you should do it i'm not gonna tell you who it is though that's okay it'll stay be tuned. a surprise <laughs> stay tuned um but yeah send us that in an email at bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com mm-hmm. um rate review subscribe mm-hmm. tell your friends mm-hmm. all of them ins- inspire them to listen to our podcast that's um that's also another first step you could take in um being an inspiration to others that's it um <laughs> look at all the magic you can do all the the magic with a couple of here. clicks you know that's that's all it takes that mm-hmm. is all it takes all joking aside though we 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 do we truly love you guys um we do this for you mm-hmm. thank you for all your love and support um please be kind to one another mm-hmm. please 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 we we can't say that or stress that enough and you know just do it just be nice just do just it just do it even if you just smile, that's okay. We'll accept that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I hope you guys have a good night, day, morning, um, shower, <laughs> whatever time and wherever you're listening to us. Have a great one. And we'll see you all next week. But until with a review then, about the Backstreet Boys concert. Yes, but until with a then. review about the Backstreet Boys concert. <laughs> and no, about St. Pete Pride. <laughs> with our reviews. How about yes. that? With yes. our reviews. Mm-hmm. But until then, sweet dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.